0: The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. As Alan mentioned, though, the government today have announced their 1.3 billion euro cost of living spring measures. Not a mini budget, simply spring measures. Uh, Sean Defoe, our political correspondent, uh, with me now. We're going to be speaking, I should say, to Pascal Donoghue a little bit later. But, Sean, can you talk us through uh, the, the, the main measures announced today?
1: Yeah, it's so probably a lot less than people would have expected or wanted, I'd say, Kieran. But what the new stuff, I suppose, is mostly in the social welfare package, a 470 million euro package. And what's going to come in there, there's a lump sum on child benefit that's going to be 100 euro per child. So if you have a couple of children, two or three children, it'll be two or 300 euro. That's going to be paid in June. And then there will be a 200 euro lump sum to be paid to all long-term social welfare recipients. So that goes across the board, job seekers, pensions, uh, carers, disability allowance, all those different payments. Another new one, or I suppose over what they did last year was another increase in the back-to-school clothing and footwear allowance of €100. That'll be paid in July for those who have uh, students going back to school. And they also looked at uh, school transport as well, which is something that wasn't really flagged in advance. Remember last year they made it free and there was a big demand on the service as a result and a lot of people couldn't get a place. It's going to be a nominal charge this year. It's going to be €50 per per pupil at primary level, 75 per pupil at post-primary level and a cap per family of €125 along with expanding the school's meal programme. That's all well and good if you on welfare, if you have children, you're getting a little bit of it, but what about everybody else? Well, what the government is arguing is universal, is basically just rolling over the different tax incentives that they kept in last year. So people aren't going to be getting new money as such, or something new into their pocket, but maybe benefiting overall from charges that were already reduced. So the VAT reduction on gas and electricity, for example, which has been down from 13.5% to 9%, that's extended until the 31st of October, until around budget time. The tourism and hospitality sector as well he thought quite hard and really beat the political narrative, because a lot of ministers and even a lot of opposition said that should probably go back to 13.5%. It isn't going to do that until the 31st of August 2023. That's going to cost €300 million, which to put in context is almost the full cost of another energy credit, which people won't be getting, because the government has decided it's better to target that maybe towards the winter than to pay it during the summer months. And then also the one uh, that will be coming back, the one bit of tax that will cost you a bit more is the excise on petrol, diesel and Uh, Mark gas oil, that is going to be returning. So remember the government brought this in to bring down the price uh, when things were getting to 2 euro a litre and above 2 euro a litre and they brought them down sort of between 15 and 20 cents. That's coming back over a phase basis starting on the 1st of June with a 6 cent a litre of petrol and 5 cent a diesel and then rising again on the 1st of September and the 31st of October. Overall it's going to be about 22 cent back onto a litre of petrol and 16 cent onto a litre of diesel by October.
0: So I uh, the, the, uh, mentioned Pascal Dunahoum, we we'll to put these questions to him a little bit later, Sean, but uh, the rationale for the 200 euro energy credit not being extended for another two month period is that simply that what it costs 400 million euro and we'd prefer keep that money in the kitty because we might need it come next winter
1: pretty much and the hope being that by the time we get to summer weather is going to be warmer the bills are going to be less and this is a a payment remember people are going to get the 200 euro in March so that'll cover your bills probably for February and March and then by the time April and May hopes around they're hoping that things will be a lot warmer and the bills are going to be less that maybe some of the different providers will pass on the lower cost of gas on the wholesale market by that stage it's something that Leo Veradker said he doesn't think should take them the 18 to 20 months that some of them are quoting they were quick enough to raise it they should be quick enough to bring it down and instead as you say, keep that money in the kitty, in the back pocket for maybe as we get towards the winter when people will need a bit more.
0: All right. Well, uh, listen. Claire caran is the Sinn Féin TD, and she's the party spokesperson on social protection, and she's with me in studio. Claire, you're welcome to the hard shoulder. What is you and your party's reaction to this 1.3 billion euro package?
2: Yeah, thank you very much. Well, firstly, I, I think what's been announced today as regards the package is, is wholly inadequate. And I think to make matters worse in relation to what's been announced, particularly on the income side, is the fact that those people that are struggling right now today, workers and families, they won't see any rise in income until those lump sum payments, those that will get them in April, and then a payment in June and July as regards the back to school clothing and footwear allowance. And for me, if I was a lone parent, and remember, lone parents almost half them live in deprivation. If you grow up in a lone parent household, you're three times more likely to live in consistent poverty. And we also know from CSO data recently that the number of lone parent households last year that could not heat their houses to adequate levels tripled last year. So if I'm a lone parent, I'm going to see a payment of €200 euro in April and that's it. And that to me is not enough because the lump sum payments are well, just a sat- bonus
0: 200 euro it, it, not just 200 euro it, 200 euro on top of what they're already in receipt of.
2: Yes but what they're already in receipt of is deeply inadequate. We have a situation where every single weekly social welfare rate and remember lone parents got nothing in the budget last year they were deeply disappointed in relation to their fact that there was no targeted measures. These are the families in Ireland that are living most at risk of poverty and living in consistent poverty. They will get one one-off payment in April on top of their current payment of about €220 which they're expected to live off week on week. It's not enough.
0: So so then do I take it that you are supportive of some of today's measures uh, for example uh, coming to an end of the €200 energy credit?
2: Well, look. Obviously, in relation because to because that's certainly not targeted. No, it absolutely isn't. I mean, we know it went to sixty-two thousand holiday homes on what was it four separate occasions, and and they got that. So, I mean, it wasn't targeted. We wanted to see a break on electricity prices, as has happened in other EU countries, and that would, in the first instance, provide certainty. But secondly, it would ensure as well that we make much quicker moves in relation to this windfall tax, because there are energy companies out there that are profiteering, and they shouldn't be. And we're seeing that far too slow in relation. Their to probably would be much higher
0: under that policy Sinn Féin policy of having a cap on what we would pay for energy prices
2: they won't because we'll claw them back with a proper windfall tax so they're not profiteering and what you're doing is you're setting up a fund to provide certainty to the end user which is the consumer and you are ensuring that the companies alright they'll stay liquid but they, but they won't make profit that's why it has to go hand in hand with the windfall tax which we're still waiting for
0: um, we are still waiting for that is going to be a European wide measure do you think we should have just gone it alone
2: I think, look, if you go it alone or you bring it in at EU level, once it's brought in, that's the most important thing. It does appear it is going to come through the yeah. EU and that's fine. But we should be looking for greater speed in relation to coming coming in through the EU. Because remember, the war isn't ending anytime soon. We have no certainty in relation to where things are going as regards energy. And we need to make sure that no one is profiteering in- at this time when so many workers and families are struggling. Uh,
0: I, I, I've mentioned already Pascal Donahue coming up later. I don't know what he's going to say. I would imagine I will get some version of Listen Kieran we would love to do everything that Claire and others are speaking about but money is a finite resource and we have to make decisions and we have to balance budgets and we have to keep some money back to use in the winter time when things get tight again what say you to that explanation
2: yeah, I think this is probably the first time where it really hasn't been raised as an issue as regards affording such a package like w- what was produced today. We know there was a surplus of the budget last year of £5 billion. There's an expected one this year of over 6000000000 billion. We're not looking to spend that. Our own package we brought forward was a package of €2 billion. Euro, and I think our own package spoke to and reached an awful lot more people. What was alarming to me in relation to this and I think it's a key question for Minister Donoghue is the fact that there is nothing in relation to housing in the package announced today and yet government repeatedly tell us that housing is the issue of the generation and it is the greatest challenge. But housing challenge. for all is how
0: they're going to solve that problem. Uh,
2: but look, housing for all, I don't think one single target in housing for all has been reached in all fairness. We have renters who are really struggling and also we had put forward the idea of a temporary mortgage interest relief. Mortgage holders are expecting their sixth increase now in the coming weeks. We have some that are with vulture funds that are paying interest rates of over 7%. They are seeing nothing as regards support and they really are being left high and dry and they are the cohort of people typically that are getting up early in the morning, paying their taxes and are seeing little enough mortgage in interest
0: relief, there is no shortage of economists who would come on here and say that mortgage interest relief sounds great, but actually it does the exact opposite of the things you're talking about. It doesn't help the people who need help. It's, re- it's a really inefficient measure that government can introduce.
2: But that depends on how you introduce it and it would have been nice if the government had at least looked at it. What we had suggested and we worked with the Parliamentary Budget Office because they've said they're not going to look at it uh, quite clearly. Deputy Doherty, my colleague, has raised it many, many times and they haven't looked at it. We worked with the Parliamentary Budget Office. We brought forward a proposal that would have seen a 30% relief on the difference in the last year between the interest rate that is being charged and those interest rates in a lot of cases have increased an awful lot. And the outcome of doing nothing is going to leave people in serious distress in relation to their mortgages. And we already have a housing crisis. We already have huge levels of homelessness. It is not the right move by the government.
0: Uh, Having said that, I mean, if the banks lend prudently, people should be able to afford that increase in interest rates. And the mortgage interest relief that you're suggesting would benefit very high income earners.
2: The the mortgage interest relief would be limited. It would be temporary and it would ensure that people remain in their homes and well, don't come under yeah, huge pressure. Even Remember, it's a temporary it's
0: temporarily benefits it, high income earners.
2: Yes, but it is a temporary, I mean, you can't pick and choose. Yeah, that sometimes happens and it is in some cases universal. But what's the alternative? Just leave everyone high and dry when they're approaching six increases and we know that workers are really struggling when it comes to mortgages.
0: Can I ask just about uh, another sector, um, the hospitality sector? Mm-hmm. I was listening to your party colleague Piers Stoherty and um, um, a couple of weeks ago uh, on another channel and he seemed to suggest that, listen, Sinn Féin mightn't be utterly opposed to VAT in the hospitality sector increasing from 9 to 13%. You know, given that money is finite and there mm-hmm. has to be sources of it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised that they've delayed the reintroduction of the higher rate of VAT?
2: Yeah, I, I am. And obviously this was an issue of disquiet among the government and that's been well said. I mean, look, an awful lot of businesses out there are struggling. Hospitality in some cases have struggled. But, the difficulty is there are parts of hospitality that are doing well. Likewise, in other businesses, there are parts of businesses doing well and others not doing well. Yet, the only one that are really seeing the benefit is the hospitality sector. I know the Minister for Finance did an assessment in relation to what the reduction meant and what the economic impact will be of increasing it again. And unfortunately, despite our calls, he didn't publish that. So you're in an awkward position where you're asked, should it go back up when you don't actually know the true impact of that because he wouldn't publish the assessment.
0: Elena fitzgerald Kane is with us as well, Chair of the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation. Uh, Elena, your industry got off lightly today, it sounds like.
3: I wouldn't say we got off slightly, but there was a huge sense of relief. And I suppose it's important to consider the context of where we are. If you look at CSO statistics, tourism has lagged behind every other sector in terms of recovery. And actually, a report that we published shows that tourism isn't expected to recover until 2026. So despite probably an unexpected buoyancy last year, it's a very different year now. It's, the mood is much more, I suppose, sombre. It's you know, you You've got respiring costs, you've got supply challenges, the pent-up demand is gone discretionary income is, is falling and there is huge uncertainty. Um, and if we were to, I suppose, we had the benefit of fantastic government support, I mean existential supports during the pandemic, but all of that would have come undone if the VAT uh, wasn't maintained. We, we also commissioned a report in conjunction with Jim Power, the Economist, and what that said was if VAT went up from 9 to 13.5%, it would have a 4.1% increase in inflation and food and accommodation. You know, 24,000 livelihoods were at risk. And again, that notion of tourism recovery in 2026 is pushed out even further. Mm. Look, Fundamentally, it's a consumer tax. There was a recent Red Sea poll which showed that the you know consumer doesn't want it. Um, and really, we're so appreciative because to stay on that trajectory in terms of recovery, this yeah. is vital. Is,
0: is, is the problem with that argument, and it all sounds like it makes sense in the face of it, but there's a sense of deja vu because when the hospitality industry... Benefited from a lower VAT rate a few years ago, the same arguments were made that you know that that increasing it to thirteen and a half percent would lead to closures, it would lead to job losses. It's too important an in industry in this country, and none of that happened. The but industry, int- the industry, the industry was booming post the increase in VAT rate.
3: Interestingly, Kieran, what, what people kind of forget to a degree is in the aftermath of the last recession, actually tourism was the biggest driver of employment and re- regional growth. And so much so, I suppose, pre-pandemic tourism would have supported 270,000 jobs, one in 10 of all Irish jobs, but actually 70% of those are outside of Dublin. So the yeah. impact in terms of footprint in regional communities is absolutely huge, um, and there is a firm belief amongst you know the sector that nine percent is the right rate. If you look at all of our European counterparts, if we'd gone up to thirteen and a half percent, essentially we would have had the second highest VAT rate in Europe, yeah. and Ireland it's, would it's, have shadowed out. You're really answering
0: the question, Elaine. Like the, all these arguments were made a few years ago when the VAT rate did increase from nine up to thirteen and a half percent, that it would have a detrimental impact on the industry, and it didn't. So why? I guess the question is, why should I believe you and others now? that an increase in VAT would have a detrimental effect when the same warnings didn't pan out a few years ago?
3: Well, I suppose you have to take the context of where we are now in terms of those spiralling costs. I mean, Ireland is a really, really expensive place where to operate a business. If you look at our figures, labour, you know, a critical part of our people business is 32% above the EU average. Electricity is 60% above the EU average. We're the second highest borrowing costs across Europe, the only Greece is ahead of us. So when you take all of those competitiveness into consideration, all those competitive aspects, and you put potentially a VAT on top of that, it does mean that things become more expensive. Mm. And in a time where you have, you know, less discretionary income, you know, and all all the costs that face people and the uncertainty that we have, You know, there was a big, big question mark looming over tourism. And there is no doubt that there would have been closures and job losses as a result. And I suppose Jim Parr's, you know, report signified the significance of it in terms of what it was going to add to inflation at the time of the time to minimise it and the potential impact on livelihoods.
0: Elena Fitzgerald Kane, Chair of the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation Elena thanks a million for speaking to us Claire Curran, thank you as well Sinn Féin TD Party Spokesperson on Social Protection and Sean Defoe our own political correspondent here for talking us through those measures we're going to ask Pascal Donahue about some of the issues raised here shortly after five o'clock I'll put to him as well some of the sentiments coming in at the text line on 53106 which is the people who feel like they pay for everything and getting nothing Dennis is one of them he says he feels like he's getting shafted thinking about taking early retirement somebody else I'm a public service worker I'm up at the crack of dawn. I work all day to try and keep a roof over my head, and I don't see much support for me in today's measures. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy. With Nissan. Weekdays from 4. On News Talk.